Open our Bibles to Genesis chapter 24, and we'll continue our study through the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings. Middle schoolers, when you think of Genesis, what do you think of? Oh, she wanted to say it. There are students that wanted to say it, but they didn't want to yell in church. So that was good. beginnings. We think of beginnings <laughs> when we read Genesis, when we hear Genesis. Well, Genesis chapter 24, uh, this is the longest chapter in Genesis. And it happens that we have the shortest amount of time together this morning <laughs> for a service. But it's okay, because this is a report of an actual event, and it was meant to be told all at once. It was meant to be read all at once and to teach some very important lessons, but it's, it's meant to be a complete story, a whole. And it's got some natural breaks in it, so we'll follow those breaks. But what we're going to do this morning, instead of what we usually do, which is read the whole passage, and then we, we break it apart and dive deep into it and, and pull out um, the truth of the Word of God, we're going to we are going to read it all together, uh, but we're going to break it into those, those sections. Um, Lord willing, it will help us to uh, break up the 67 verses um, and to learn the lessons in each section instead of uh, just waiting until the end. And so, Lord willing, this will be helpful. It will be easier to learn, to grow in together in a long chapter. Uh, but the basis for the whole chapter, if you had to sum it up in one word, in your notes, you see that funny-looking uh, scribble writing is the Hebrew word chesed, chesed. And you'll see it translated in the scriptures in various ways, loyalty, faithfulness, mercy, loving kindness, and as we see it here in the ESV, steadfast love. It's a very strong word. It's a very important word. It has, has a lot of gravity and meaning that doesn't really come across, across in English very well. Um, it might be one of those words that would be good if it had a whole paragraph of words to go with it, uh, to make it make sense better for us in English the way that it was meant to in Hebrew. So let's talk about this word, chesed, steadfast love. We know that we're supposed to love everyone, respect everyone, honor everyone, love everyone. We know these commands in Scripture, your family, your neighbor, even your enemy, we're supposed to love everyone. It's a serious command, and it's one that we forget often, but God is our example, how he loves everyone in a sense of making every single person and giving every person sunshine and rain and food and water and clothing. It, for the most part, everyone on the planet has those things, even those who are blasphemous against him, even those who deny God's existence, he still gives them all that they need. He's good to them. His love motivates action for them. And so we're commanded to love everyone in that sense. But this idea of steadfast love, this idea of the chesed, goes beyond even that incredible level of love that none of us is worthy of. Chesed, steadfast love, normally depends on a relationship between those involved, a committed, dedicated relationship, including even a covenant relationship. It's not the general kindness and the love that you show for all, honoring everyone, respecting everyone, serving everyone. This is an intentional, sacrificial action love based on a commitment, and it's done with zeal, with excitement, with enthusiasm. Because of this relationship that exists, I'm going to act this way for you, for your good. It goes beyond my responsibility to love everybody. This really gets into the arena of obligation. 
I, I mean, I'm told to, I'm commanded to love all, but I'm even more, and, and I have an even more desire to love in this way. Whether it's deserved or undeserved, it's my goal to act in this way for you because you need it, and I can do it, and I can provide it. I can give it. You'll never measure up to this, but you don't have to because it's already a decision. It's an act of the will that's already been made. I'm going to do this. I'm going to love in this way. That's why it's called steadfast love. It's not going to change. It's not going to move. You you can't undo it. That's why it's called loving kindness. That's why it's called mercy. Now, it's a word that's used for God. It's used as a, a word of God, of who he is, and it's used of God to people, certain people, It's a word that's used between people, person to person, but rarely ever is it used person to God, because we can do okay with it matching one another with a firm, steadfast love for each other, and God is the perfect model of always steadfast love, but our following that example back to God really just doesn't compare. So it's rarely ever actually used of a person back to God. But it's connected with who God is. You remember in Exodus 34 when Moses said, God, I want to see you. I want to see your face. And God said, you can't see my face. You can't see me. I mean, for one thing, God is everywhere all the time. Um, For another thing, he's a spirit. He doesn't have a body. But for a third thing, if if we get into his visible manifest presence, um, we are undone, as Isaiah is. I I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. And and we fall on our face before this holy God. You can't see a visible manifestation, a a concentrated presence of God and survive. That's what what God says to Moses. But he says, I'll allow you to see just my passing, the, the rest of my passing presence after it's gone by you. And as God does that with Moses, he proclaims his name, and it takes a whole paragraph for God's name. He says, Yahweh, Yahweh, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in chesed, steadfast love, and faithfulness. Those two words are often together, the steadfast love and faithfulness. Keeping chesed, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And all of that is proclaimed and connected with God's name, who he really is. And twice he abounds and keeps steadfast love. Even in judgment, as he, as he judges those who, who have uh, been worthy of his judgment, those who all of us are in that condition on our, on our own by ourselves, falling under the judgment of God because of our sin, even in that judgment, he is full and abounding in steadfast love, truth and love together. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around that. It's hard for us to understand that even in judgment, God is love, but he's perfect in all his ways. He's perfect in all of his character. He never stops being something to start being something else. He's, he's all of this all at once, not divisible into anything. He is perfect in all his ways. And we praise God that because of his steadfast love, we don't have to stay in that position of being under his judgment and his wrath because of Jesus. And in him, in our Lord Jesus, we can say with Lamentations 3.22 that the steadfast love of this Yahweh God, this Lord God, 
never ceases, never stops. That's the truth from God toward his people. His decision to act for the good on behalf of his covenant people in need with enthusiasm never ceases, never stops. You know, I just want to take a minute and just let that sink in. What a God. Who is this God? He is the God who is, as we were reminded this morning, love. And this great steadfast love. So, so that concept of steadfast love is all wrapped up in these two little words, steadfast love, this one Hebrew word with just three letters that's at the top of your notes. It shows up four times in this chapter alone, and yet the chapter is drenched in it. So let's study it together. There are four natural breakpoints in Genesis 24. We're going to read through it together. We're going to learn about this God, and we're going to learn what it looks like to live in the light of the knowledge of the steadfast love of the Lord. Number one, in verses one through nine, we're going to see that Abraham trusts God's steadfast love. He trusts his steadfast love. Listen to these nine verses. Read along with me if you can in the nine verses here and listen for Abraham's complete trust. Now, Abraham was old, well advanced in years. And the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. That means God's promises have been fulfilled. Remember that? God promised Abraham from the beginning, I will bless you. I'm going to bless you and and, and I'm going to bless the world through you. Abraham can see that. He recognizes that at this point in his life. Verse 2, Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac." You remember that Isaac is the promised son, the chosen son, that the line of the Messiah will come through. And for him to have a son and to have more children, he's going to have to have a wife. And Abraham, we said, did not want to take a wife from the people around him. He says, you're going to need to go and find one from my kindred, my family. And how does Abraham describe this God? He calls him Yahweh, the Lord, God of heaven and earth. It's an acknowledgement of God's power and his his omnipresence. He's everywhere. He's in heaven. He's on earth. There is nowhere where God isn't. So promise, swear by this God that you'll do this. So the servant knows this is a very serious undertaking here. It's a very serious errand. So he says, before I can make that promise, I've got a question I need to have cleared up. Verse 5, the servant said to him, perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Should I take him back there? If she says, no, I ain't going. Verse 6, Abraham said to him, see to it that you do not take my son back there. Yahweh, the Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred and who spoke to me and swore to me, your offspring, I will give this land. He will send his angel before you and you shall take a wife for my son from there. He said, God took me out of there. And he said, don't go back, stay here. So I'm not going back there and neither is Isaac. But to answer your question, verse 8. If the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. So in effect, again, God took me out of there. He's going to make sure that we stay here. You go and come back. But if this God, the God of heaven and earth, if this God doesn't come through with this, well, forget about it. Forget the whole thing. You're off the hook. 
If this God doesn't come through, um, don't bother with any of it, right? If he's a God that can make promises but can't keep them, move on. Go on with your life. The servant says, well, that's a pretty good deal. (laughs) I can agree to that. So the servant put his hand, verse 9, under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Now, the, putting the hand under the thigh thing, there's a lot of guesses for what that means. The essence, though, is this is a solemn vow. This is a promise between the servant of Abraham and Abraham. There may be some ideas of revenge from Abraham's seed. You know, whoever comes after me, after this, will come after you. Uh, but the idea is, the really st- the strong idea is this commitment between these two men. And essentially, it's this question Servant of Abraham, will you act in steadfast love? Will you be faithful and act for the good of Abraham? And his answer is, I will. He puts his hand under the thigh. Because, again, this is a pretty good deal. I mean, if it doesn't come through, I can go do whatever I want. I'm I'm off the hook. But if he does, well, this is going to be a success, and I I need to pay attention to this God. So our lesson from this short section And and what we're learning from this and and what we see from this is that we also need to take the time to acknowledge God's blessings in the past and trust him for the future. As Abraham looks over his life, he's old, he's well advanced in years, and he sees that God has followed through on his promises. He's blessed him. And so he's trusting him now for the future. You could say, Abraham could have said, well, everything that's happened to this point has been chance. It's been fate. It's been luck. But he knows better. He knows that this has been the work of the Lord. The truth is that everything that's happened in our lives have been, has been the work of the Lord in his common grace, love. And if you belong to him as one of his children, you have repented in, of your sins and you have believed in Jesus Christ, you have even that steadfast love of the Lord beyond his common love for all the rest of his creation so that he acts with zeal for your good and for his glory. And his proven word teaches that. The, the inspired, God-breathed word of God teaches us that. But if you'll acknowledge it, your life has proven it also, has shown it over and over and over again. Do, do we realize that it is actually disobedience? It's, it's a sin against God not to trust him. We're commanded over and over and over again in the word of God to trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. We're never commanded wives to trust your husband. Did you know that? Husbands, you're never commanded trust your wife. Now, I'm not saying trust is not, does not belong in a marriage relationship. It most certainly does. And, and it belongs in our relationships with one another. But our trust can only ever really fully, completely ever be placed in the God of steadfast love. It's commanded throughout the scriptures, but Psalm 37.5, and I didn't include this in your notes, write it down there, Psalms 37.5, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. That's the steadfast love of the Lord. Throw yourself unreservedly. That, that's commit your way. Throw yourself on him. And, and the contrast in Psalm 37 is between those who do that and those who are wicked. That's the strong contrast. So trust the Lord with every area of your life, including, as Abraham does here, with your children. Ooh, how hard is that? Trust the Lord with your life, with your children, because he is always trustworthy because of his steadfast love. So 
that's the first short section. Let's move on. We need to keep going. Number two, the servant now takes in God's steadfast love. Verses 10 through 28, watch and observe this servant that he takes in God's steadfast love. Verse 10, then the servant took 10 of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. Now, did you catch how fast we just moved? We just went 450 miles away where the servant just went. And if you think that's not extraordinary, just think about how he has 10 camels full of choice gifts. We're going to learn later on it's gold. It's, it's jewelry of silver and gold and garments and precious costly ornaments. And nothing happened to them in the unguarded, unpoliced wilderness as they traveled 450 miles. That's amazing. That's the work of God. Verse 12, he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show chesed, show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Because this is where the servant is going to find out, is this God going to come through? Is this, is this the true the God of my master Abraham? He's not claiming him as his God yet. Will you show him steadfast love? Behold, I'm standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I say, please let down your jar that I may drink, and who shall say, drink and I will water your camels, (laughs) let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown steadfast love, chesed, to to my master. Now, the servant doesn't know this God like Abraham does. He's Abraham's oldest servant, but it doesn't sound like he's ever had that personal relationship with God and proven him over and over and over again. So he sets up this test. And our lesson from this passage is not going to be put God to the test. That's never a good idea. That's not a good idea to put to test God. That's not what we're to take from this. But this is what the servant does, and God graciously at this point allows it. God allows it to happen. He does that for Gideon with the fleece. He does that with Moses and Aaron when they're challenged and Aaron's, his rod buds. You know, we've seen this before. And I don't know about you, but as I was younger, I, I tried this in my life. God, if you're real, would you do this, please? You know, would you show me by doing this? And, and it didn't happen. And, but it's not because God's not real. It's because God doesn't answer to me to prove his existence, does he? He is alive, he is real, and his his divine attributes are clearly seen in the things that are made. He's already given us ample witness that he is real and that he is good. Only a few times has he ever done this in special circumstances, and he's never needed to, but he's done it out of his grace. And we now have this complete word of God that's given to us and made more sure than even the real presence of Jesus glorified on the Mount of Transfiguration. This word is more sure than even real visions and, and real miracle works of God. We have the scriptures. This is enough for us. So God graciously allows this test. It's in his word to demonstrate his steadfast love for Abraham, the one that he made a covenant with, so that we can understand this about this God. And even though he doesn't need to prove anything to anyone, he continually proves his steadfast love in his word and in our lives. 
Verse 15, before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. (laughs) Now, we know who this is. We get to find out ahead of time, but the servant doesn't. Watch in these verses because she becomes this flurry of activity. Just in, in five verses, 11 verbs describing what she's doing. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also. What? (laughs) Who does this? She's doing exactly what the servant had asked the Lord that she would do. Verse 20, so she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water, and she drew for all his camels. There are 10 camels. Do you know that a camel can drink between 20 and 30 gallons of water at a time? We're talking, I mean, possibly a couple hundred gallons. When they're really thirsty, they have the ability to drink up to 53 gallons of water at one time without harming themselves. And she's, she's watering these ten camels with a jar that she carries on her shoulder. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. <laughs> do, do, look at the servant. Do you see him? He's just gotten into town. He's just gotten there. And right away, this young, attractive virgin woman is doing exactly what God has asked that she would do. And so he's taking it all in. And probably just in utter disbelief. Like, I, <laughs> I can't believe this is, this is happening. But she can't be from the right family, though, right? I mean, in his mind, like, this is just, it, it can't be fate or luck. It, it can't be just an accident. No, this is the God of heaven and earth who's working this out. When the camels had finished drinking, well, as I'm thinking back, somehow I think I missed that before he had even finished speaking. <laughs> this is happening. Verse 22, when the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing 10 gold shekels and said, please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? Verse 24, she said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. She's from the right family. This is amazing. She added, we have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. So the servant has now seen everything he needs to see. The God of heaven and the God of earth, the almighty, all-powerful, omnipotent, omnipresent, everywhere God is real and he's active. So what does this servant do because of that? Verse 26, the man bowed his head and worshiped Yahweh, worshiped the Lord. And said, blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. Worshiping the Lord. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way. The Hebrew is emphatic. I mean, he's leading me even to the house of my master's kinsman. Then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. The Lord came through. The Lord acted in his steadfast love, and he came through. And so our lessons here, we've got two of them. The first lesson is even when you cannot see or hear or feel him, God is working in his steadfast love. 
Even when you can't see, hear, or feel him, he's working. At no point, and you'll, did you notice in the story, at no point in this story does the servant physically see God working. He never gets to see that angel who went ahead of him. He never gets to see God doing something. He never hears the voice of God speaking directly to him. He doesn't even see a miracle. He's seeing these events just unfold. And from that, he's understanding that God is working in steadfast love. He can clearly see that it's God at work. Can you do the same in your life? Can you look back on your life and, and the past and how you've come to be where you are now and, and, to, and to look back over your life and see how God has worked in your life? You, you're not going to hear directly from God hearing voices. Maybe you're not going to be seeing miracles. You're not going to be, you know, any of the things that people want to hear and see and feel today and that they, they cry out to God for, but because God is alive because he's real, because as his word teaches us, he's the God of steadfast love. He is working. He is alive and active. And we have more than we need because of God giving it to us. So we need to be more intentional about this. We, and we can see this working against us. We can see that we're not doing this when we complain. You know, oh, we're not getting enough rain this year. Oh, we got too much rain this year. Oh, it's too hot out there. Now it's too cold out there. I don't have enough money. I've got too much money. I don't think I've ever heard anybody say that part, but <laughs> complain, complain, complain when, when, when all we notice is what's wrong and we complain instead of look at what God has done. Look how good God is. The second lesson is that the proper response to the God of steadfast love is worship. It's worship, just a complete devotion, a commitment, a life of worship. It, it, it's, it's doing better at living chesed, steadfast love back to God, uh, even though we're not very good at it. When you acknowledge God and his work, his active work, you, you worship him. When you begin to look at life this way, instead of all the things that are wrong, you begin to worship, and you're, you're thankful a whole lot more often. <laughs> you're, you're grateful to God. It changes our attitude, our perspective on difficulty. It heightens our joy and comfort because we know that God is alive and he's working. Let's move on to number three. The servant tells about God's steadfast love. In verses 29 to 60, the servant tells all about his love. And we're going to read this, but maybe a little bit faster because we're running short on time. But it is repeated on purpose for us. You think, why is it so redundant and so repetitious? Because it's teaching us again the, the lessons that we're supposed to get about what God has done in his steadfast love. Verse 29, Rebecca had a brother whose name was Laban. Laban ran out toward the man to the spring. As soon as he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms and heard the words of Rebecca, his sister, thus the man spoke to me, he went to the man. And behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. He said, come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. So the man came to the house and unharnessed the camels and gave straw and fodder to the camels. And there was water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. Then food was set before him to eat, but he said, I will not eat until I have said what I have to say. He said, speak on. So Rebecca's brother is there and he's taking all of this in. Just as the servant was taking everything in, Laban is now taking everything in. But Laban is going to learn a completely different message. He's going to take a different lesson from this than the servant does. And, and we're not going to see him again until chapter 28, but we'll see what lessons he took from this experience when we get there. 
For now, we see Eastern hospitality, taking care of the animals before they rest, and and the excitement and the importance of this message that this servant has to say. He says, I'm not even going to eat. I've got to tell you this. Verse 34, he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master, and he has become great. He has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male servants and female servants, camels and donkeys. God has blessed Abraham with all that, right? Abraham didn't get that himself. Abraham's not some great guy. God did all that. Do you recount God's blessings to you? Do you know where everything that you have has come from? It's from this God. It's crucial to the story, and it's crucial to our story as well. Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old, and to him he has given all that he has. In other words, Isaac is now a young, wealthy bachelor. (laughs) Verse 37, my master made me swear, saying, you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I dwell, but you shall go to my father's house and to my clan and take a wife for my son. I said to my master, perhaps the woman will not follow me. But he said to me, the Lord before whom I have walked will send his angel before you and prosper your way. You shall take a wife for my son from my clan and from my father's house. Then you will be free from my oath when you come to my clan. And if they will not give her to you, you will be free from my oath. He talks about all that. He tells them all that. I mean, he gives them this way out ahead of time almost. Like, yeah, well, if you say she can't come or she says she doesn't want to come, then, I, uh, then it's all for nothing. It's all for nothing. But look how God has worked all this out. And so he prays in verse 42, and and God answers. I came to to the spring and said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, if you are prospering the way that I go, behold, I'm standing by the spring of water. Let the virgin who comes out to draw water, to whom I shall say, please give me a little water from your jar to drink, and who will say to me, drink, and I will draw for your camels. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. (laughs) And you wouldn't believe that's exactly what happened, he says. Before I had finished speaking in my heart. There it is. I thought it was earlier. (laughs) But it's right here. Before I was even done speaking, behold, Rebecca came out with her water jar on her shoulder. She went down to the spring and drew water. I said to her, please let me drink. She quickly let down her jar from her shoulder and said, drink, and I will give your camel's drink also. So I drank. And she gave the camel's drink also. Then I asked her, whose daughter are you? She said, the daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. So I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her arms. Then I bowed my head and worshiped and blessed Yahweh, the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had led me by the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. He says, can you believe it? Look at the steadfast love of this Lord God toward his servant. Look at everything that's happened. It's as plain as everyday things. And yet it's amazing that God has worked in all of them. And so I worshiped. He doesn't leave that part out. He tells them, I worship this God. You should too. <laughs> I mean, that's the, that's the implication, right? You should worship this God. I mean, think about everything that could have gone wrong. We could have been robbed on the way here over the 450 miles. I've come to the right town at the right place. This is the right woman from the right family. Everything has gone according to plan, but here's where it gets really real. Verse 49, now then, if you are going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me. And if not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. What's it going to be? What are you going to decide? Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, the thing has come from Yahweh. It's come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go and let her be the wife of your master's son as the Lord has spoken. They said, look, we see it too. 
uh, we can't argue with you. This is an amazing God. The work of God is amazing. It's not Abraham that convinces us. It's not you. It's God, who he is and what he's done. And God's work has been evident in your life, brother, in your life, sister, the same way. And we have a testimony that we can share with the people around us about who God is and what he's done in our lives. And the people around us will have to make the same decision, believe it or reject it. Verse 52, when Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord again for the third time. He's worshiping this God the God of steadfast love. Verse 53, the servant brought out jewelry of silver and of gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave to her brother and to her mother costly ornaments, something that Laban also will remember later on. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank and they spent the night there. When they arose in the morning, he said, send me away to my master. Her brother and her mother said, well, let the young woman remain with us a while, at least 10 days. After that, she may go. But he said to them, do not delay me since the Lord has prospered my way. Don't delay what God has. Don't put off what he's told us to do. Send me away that I may go to my master. They said, let us call the young woman and ask her. They called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? One last chance to throw off the work of God. One last opportunity to to make sure that God's will doesn't happen. But she says, I will go. So they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. Can you believe it? There it is. It's here for us. And this is the work of God. It's the work of God even to, to bring that blessing to reality, that she would be the, the mother of thousands and ten thousands, and that they would be successful people in the Lord. The steadfast love of God never ceases. His proven word teaches it. Our life demonstrates it. Lesson number one from this section is that we need to talk about God's steadfast love. We need to talk about it. Who do you tell? Who do you share it with? You know, we, we're so excited to tell people about a new restaurant that comes into town or a, new, a good deal that we got on something, a new, a new TV series, but, but why don't we talk about the one we love, the one who loves us? Talk about the hardships that he's brought you through. Talk about the good things that he's brought to you. Talk about all of his blessings and the salvation that we have in Jesus. This is what he's told us to talk about. This is what we should be telling others about when we're genuinely excited about it and and, and in love with this God because of it. Number two, trust the Lord for who you marry or who you married. (laughs) Now, this isn't explicit. It's not a major lesson in the text, but I wanted to include this because twice it's mentioned that Rebecca and Isaac were appointed for one another. And our job isn't to try to decipher, well, where is the one that God's appointed for me? <laughs> I got to try to find that in the six billion people on the planet, I got to find the one. No, God's working. So our job is to become the kind of person that the kind of person you want to marry wants to marry. Did you, did you follow that? <laughs> Not, not just try to find the right one, but be the right one. Be the one that God will bring the one to you to be together with. Not just go be with them, but by God's grace to be what he has for you to be. And God will bless that work. Well, the final passage, verses 61 to 67, Isaac and Rebekah, number four in our notes, take after God's steadfast love. 
his steadfast love has been on full display. Now it's time for Rebekah and Isaac to live it out. Verse 61, then Rebekah and her young women arose and rode on the camels and followed the man. Then the servant took Rebekah and went his way. Now Isaac had returned from Beer Lahai Roy. That's where Hagar had taken his half-brother Ishmael, remember? And that was the, the well of the living one who sees me. That's where he had been. He's dwelling now in the Negev, the, the southern part of the land. Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. He's out there praying. Maybe he's praying that the servant's errand will be successful. Maybe he's praying that this will happen. He lifts up his eyes and he saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes. When she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Now, we could have had the whole thing recounted for us over again. (laughs) He could have, we, we, had, we could have had it included a third time, but we don't have that. We can read it again. But again, he tells them, no robbery, no going to the wrong town, no missing the wrong people. God has done this. He's brought this to happen. He's brought it about. Then Now the two of them will be joined together in another committed covenant relationship of marriage and live out the steadfast love, even though they've never met to this point. Verse 67, Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. And so Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Amen. What an amazing account of God's steadfast love. And then these two people coming together who have never met, they said, let's, let's marry. Let, let's decide to act with a steadfast love toward one another because God's brought us together. And, and, and whether we knew each other, whether we didn't know each other, whether we've been married for two days or 35 years, we're deciding every day to live in steadfast love to that person. So the lesson here is to transport God's steadfast love to others. Transport it. Begin with your family. Begin with your spouse. They don't deserve it. <laughs> That's why they need it, and neither do you. You don't deserve it either. But that's what we're called to do for one another, to serve and to love one another. Start with your family. Start with your husband, your wife. Because people who know God's steadfast love live out his steadfast love to those around them. Remember 1 John 4 and verse 8? Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Well, I, don't, I can't love other people. Then how do you know the love of God? That's what he says in verse 19. We love because he first loved us. The whole reason I can love is not because I find people worthy of it or because I'm deserving of it, but because God loved us. If you've received God's love, you're to hold on to that. You're to trust in that, and then you're to share that. Send that out. The application is to learn about this, God. Live in and live out this steadfast love of the Lord. Learn about it. Live in it. Live it out the steadfast love of God. God, we praise you and we lift up your name. God, you're already exalted. Father, you are already great. You are high and lifted up and higher than anything we can imagine and better, more glorious. God, we can't out-imagine who you are. We, We can't make you greater than you are. Our greatest attempts fall short because you are so glorious, mighty, and holy. You are the God who is love, the God of steadfast love. Father, thank you. Lord God, thank you for your truth that says that, that teaches that, that demonstrates it. Lord, thank you for life that proves over and over again the 
the truth of who you are. God, I pray that we would live in that truth. Father, that we would, we would fellowship and commune with you through Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Lord, your Son. God, thank you for sending him. Thank you that he lived perfectly, that he died. Thank you that he rose again. Father, thank you that he's praying for us at your right hand even now. God, I pray that you would help us to, to trust in you better, to love you more. God, to follow you and be committed to you even as you are committed to us. Father, thank you that when we stumble and fall, God, you're, you are faithful. You are steadfast in your love. God, give us the boldness and the love to share that truth with those around us. God, that we would live this out in truth, Lord, that, that whether anybody sees or hears or cares, God, that we would live for you. And Lord, we know, we, you have said that other people will notice that. And Lord, that they will give glory to you. Father, we pray for that. We desire that. And God, thank you for the promise that our Savior is going to come back for us. And we'll be with you forever. Thank you for your steadfast love. In Jesus' name, amen.